We continue our series, Missing Christmas. And today's message is entitled, <laughs> A Threatened King. Take out your message guide if you haven't already. The first two panels, as you know, is the outline for today's message. And the theme verse, and actually it's just an introductory verse today. From Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. Now, there were several Herods in the story, in the Gospels. But this was Herod the first, also called Herod the Great. He ruled Israel and Judea from about 37 to 34 B.C. Radically, he was an, I mean, racially, he was an Arab, not actually a Jew racially. He was an Arab for the, from the southern part of Israel called Idumea. He was actually a descendant of Esau. So whereas the kings of Israel would go through the line of Jacob, Herod was actually from the line of Esau. Genesis chapter 25, you can read that. Culturally, he was Greek. The Greek language was used, and it was the language of business and commerce throughout the Roman Empire. And Greek culture also influenced all of the Roman Empire. Herod spoke Greek as his primary language, and he even attempted, attempted to turn Jerusalem into a Greek city. Now, that was advantageous that there was a common language when it came time to write the New Testament, which, which was written, of course, in Greek. Now, religiously, Herod was a Jew, although it was really nominal. Herod's ancestors, who, as I said, were Idumeans, lived in the southern region of Israel, were conquered by a Jewish king named Hyrcanus, who forced them to convert. So, whereas they were nominally Jewish, it doesn't appear and no evidence that Herod ever really practiced Judaism. But his family was nominally Jewish. For that, he was despised by Jews and who saw him merely as a representative of Rome. He was much hated. He was an evil and an angry man. Politically, he was a Roman. He was appointed king of the Jews by the Roman Senate. And he was later confirmed by Caesar Augustus. Now, Herod had many strengths. He was a powerful orator and a diplomat. He was diplomat. He was a great leader. He personally led an army in battle in 10 different wars. He was a master builder. He rebuilt the temple of Israel in Jerusalem. He hoped it would make him more popular with the Jews, but it didn't. He also financed numerous structures, including pagan temples, theaters, palaces, and fortresses throughout the Roman Empire. When I was in Israel two years ago, Leanne and I and a number of people from our church, we saw what had been a magnificent city, Caesarea Martima, which is on the Mediterranean Sea. And it had a, a large coliseum or, or stadium. In fact, it's still used today for rock concerts. Our guide, whose name was Ave Ben Yusuf, said that he had seen the Rolling Stones in that stadium not too long before. 
But it was a fascinating city. There were swimming pools and it was beautiful. There was a racetrack. It was, it was a wonderful city. And he built it and named it after the Caesar, obviously, to curry favor. He mercilessly taxed the people to finance these projects, though. And also, he sent money to the Roman emperor to gain favor with him as well. Herod was ruthless and paranoid, which is a bad combination. Having power and paranoia does not go together well. And he murdered numerous people that he regarded as potential rivals to his throne, including members of his very own family. He murdered three of his own sons, one within five days of his own death. He had 10 different wives, and he murdered his favorite one, whose name was Mary Omni, who was actually Jewish. She was a descendant of a Jewish king, and he murdered two of her brothers, one who was the high priest who Herod had drowned. And he also murdered Mary Omni's mother. But after murdering this woman who was supposed to be his favorite, he would wander through the palace calling out her name. And he would send servants to locate her, to bring her to him. And when they couldn't find her, because of course she was dead, he would have them beaten. He was not mentally stable. Herod ordered that upon his death, thousands of prominent Jews... Several high priests and others that were just well regarded among the Jews were to be arrested. They were to be taken to a stadium in Jericho and executed so that there would be mourning in the land of Israel upon his passing. He knew he was much despised by the Jews and no one would weep for him. So he set up that plan so people would cry ostensibly for him, but it wouldn't be. After he died, however, that order was not carried out. Herod held his title jealously and tenaciously. And he dealt swiftly and cruelly with any perceived threat to his position. He was constantly being threatened. He faced insurrection from Jews. Jesus was accused of being an insurrectionist, as you know, by a later Herod. He faced opposition from enemy nations. And he was under the constant critical scrutiny from the Roman emperor. So this was a man who was continually anxious, afraid, and very angry. Herod's self-focused fear of insignificance completely controlled his life. We're going to look at three ways that Herod expressed his experience of threat. And so the threat to Herod is revealed first through his rejection of a ruler. I'll be reading from Matthew chapter 2. If you have this Bible that we sell in the bookstore, it's on page 772. This is the New Living. The latter part of verse 1. About that time, some wise men, what's their name in Greek? What are they called in Greek? Magi. Which, which literally means royal astrologers. Some wise men from eastern lands, perhaps Persia, most likely Persia, but perhaps Babylon, maybe Saudi Arabia, and some even suggest China, but east of Israel. 
Some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. So the appearance of these wise men greatly upset King Herod. They were seeking a newborn king of the Jews, a rightful king of the Jews. And he was the king of the Jews. So you can see why it was so threatening. But why was he so scared? Well, these magi also represented a potential military threat because they were from the Persian Empire, likely from a region called Parthia, which were enemies of the Roman Empire. So they were very likely accompanied by an army because they had to pass through hostile Roman territory and through wilderness areas where robbers often attacked people on their journeys. Now, if you think about it, how could three strangely dressed men on camels disturb a king and furthermore how could three men on camels disturb the entire city I think it's unlikely so if you have a little scene at your house you need to put an army around those three men on camels of course it's more likely they were on Arabian horses so you can cut off their feet and paint them white too but they were likely with a a much larger imposing force, large enough to attract the attention not only of the king, but of the entire city and to cause concern for everyone who lived in Jerusalem. Now, perhaps these people were concerned that the guards of the wise men or the magi would potentially attack them all, but they were more likely worried about Herod's violent reaction against these magi because he had shown himself to be excessively cruel and they knew that if he started killing it could spill over to them you can understand why Herod was so disturbed he was the king of the Jews he'd been given that title by Rome and he had no intention of being displaced by anyone especially a rightful king that the Jewish people would prefer. Herod's fear, you see, was that someone would take his throne, his sovereignty, his control. And because Herod viewed this newborn king as a threat to his position and his power, he rejected him. See, Herod didn't see this Messiah as a savior at all. But the savior came for Jew and Gentile. But you see that Herod saw Jesus only as threat, not as savior. And because of that, Herod missed Christmas. Some of us are like Herod. You say, well, we're not kings. Well, of course not. But like Herod, we intend to exercise complete control over our own lives. And we won't allow anyone, even Jesus, the King of Kings, to rule over us. So we hold him at at arm's length. We reject him because we think Jesus coming into our lives, he might interfere with our lifestyles, 
with our decisions, with our careers, with our relationships. He might have expectations about our morality. And the truth is, he does. Jesus does require us to follow him. For when he comes in as Savior, he also becomes Lord of our lives. And he expects us to obey his direction. Look at this passage Matthew, from Matthew 16. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. See, what is the cross? Well, the cross is dying to self. And if you take up your cross, it means that your ambitions are not as important as Christ's goals for you. His plans are more important than your purposes for you. Because he has a purpose for you that's eternal and infinite. And he continued, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. So which are you doing? Are you trying to control your life? Are you submitting your life to Christ to direct? And then he, and then he closed with this. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world? but lose your own soul. Is anything worth more than your soul? How many of us are trying to exercise control? And we don't want Jesus interfering with our lives. But if you reject Jesus, if you hold him at arm's length, because you don't want him ruling over your life, You're missing Christmas. Now, Herod was only a Jew nominally, but he knew who could provide information about the Messiah because he knew that the Messiah, and he used the term Messiah here instead of king, but they knew that the Messiah would come to rule and to reign as king. Verse 4. Herod called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Now, the leading priest or chief priest, some translations say, were the ones who gave oversight to temple activities. Now, scribes were actually, they were the scholars. They were the official interpreters of the Old Testament or the Torah. And they answered, in Bethlehem in Judea. Now, we're going to see also that the threat to Herod was revealed through resorting to deceit. Verse 7. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men. And he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. See, Herod was interested in the timing of the star's appearance, not the significance, not what it represented. Because, see, he wanted to know the age of the child who posed a threat to his power. So he could identify and eliminate that child. Verse 8, then he told them, go to Bethlehem, search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me 
so that I can go and worship him too. Now Herod sent the Magi to Bethlehem to find this child. Why didn't he send his soldiers? Say it again. They wouldn't have been welcome. The parents would have done what with the children? They would have hidden them. They would have hidden them. So he sent the Magi, but asked them to return when they found this Messiah, supposedly so that he could go and worship as well. Since Herod had murdered members of his own family to preserve his power, he would certainly kill this newborn threat to his throne. He pretended an interest. He feigned a desire to worship the newborn king. In so doing, he deceived these magi so that he could, with their help, get close enough to kill him. So it's obvious that Herod missed Christmas. Sometimes we miss Christmas because of deception. Takes a different form. Sometimes it's self deception. Sometimes it's deception of others. And what we're concealing is our true interest, our real relationship with the Savior. Why would you do that? Well, sometimes we do it because we're embarrassed, we're even threatened that maybe we haven't truly experienced being born again. Maybe we, 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 we struggle with understanding what the Bible means. Perhaps we have a hard time hearing from God, hearing him speak. And so rather than admitting it and seeking help and, and crying out to God and, and asking for counsel and persisting, we'd rather just deceive There are many reasons that people declare, well, I'm a Christian. Even when truly they wonder inside whether they truly are. Some of you may be in that place today. Well, why would you say that if you're really not sure? Does, does stating it seem to, to make you more confident? Or do you say it so that friends and family members won't try to witness to you. I have someone that I've tried to witness to and that's the response, which just really means don't talk to me about that. Anybody, anybody understand this? Identify with it. Sometimes someone will assert they're a Christian so that some romantic interest who is a strong believer will accept a date. Well, do you think anybody would lie about that to get a date? What about it, Forrest, you think? Do y'all agree with Forrest that people would lie about that? Sure they would. Any of you that think not are naive. Maybe they would just declare their Christianity to evade being confronted about immoral behavior. That's an interesting response, isn't it? When you say, you know, this, this behavior in your life isn't right. And instead of a dialogue, you get, I'm a Christian. 
How dare you say that to me? That's, that's a non-responsive answer, isn't it? Because a Christian should care what Christ wants. What do you think, Mike? And yet we hear it as a deflection. It's a deception. Or even to avoid having to assess the true state of their faith. If I keep saying it strongly enough, it will prevent me from having to reflect on the real answer. Verse 9. After this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. Now, I'm not, I'm not preaching on the wise men today. But that's a peculiar star, isn't it? That would guide them to a city, a particular city, and then to a house. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house. Where's the word stable? See, if you were here last week, you heard that I really believe he was born in a house, probably a relative's house, but perhaps a small house. And there was no room in the guest room. So he was likely delivered where the animals slept and then laid in the hole that was cut into the floor to hold the hay or to hold the grain that they ate. But he was found in a house, perhaps the same house where he was actually born. Doesn't appear that these wise men showed up at the time of birth, does it? But it may have been, it could have been as long as two years, but probably more likely within a month or two months, and the newborn could have still been in the house. They were waiting until he was strong enough to travel. And the mother was strong enough as well. So they entered and saw the mother and the child, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But these wise men, you see, weren't deceived into assisting Herod to assassinate Jesus because God intervened. As it says in verse 12, when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. God's spirit reveals truth. In fact, God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, is also referred to as the spirit of truth in John 16. How many Christians possess the spirit of truth? Come on, give me an answer. Or I won't let y'all go home. Do you believe that? Anyone without the Spirit of God is not born again. The Spirit of God placed within you is proof that you belong to Christ. And this Spirit, the Spirit of truth, guides us 
if we're sensitive to the leading. The problem is not so many of us are. We can't discern it or we don't want to rely on it or we just block it out. Instead, we need to learn to gain sensitivity to the spirit within. The scripture tells us God's always speaking, but not many of us are always listening. So the spirit guided these men, told them about a threat. Has the spirit of God ever revealed a threat to you? Has he? Sometimes we're hesitant to respond to it, aren't we? Sometimes it's like this. Don't engage in business with this person. Don't date that one. No, don't marry this one. Stop. Don't hire that one. Don't do that. You feel, anybody know what I'm talking about? And you think, oh, well, I just, I don't know what this is inside. But when you ignore it, we often incur damage, don't we? And the Spirit of God is given to us to guide us into truth. Sometimes directly. He did through a, direct, through a direct message to these wise men. Often through a dream you see a lot of times in the Scripture. But I think even more commonly the Spirit will, will confirm our spiritual state. It's the spirit that's the deposit from God. Do you want to know whether you're truly born again? It's not saying the right facts. It's possessing the spirit of God within. Can you discern his presence? Romans 8, 16 tells us that. But the Spirit will also guide us in the way we should live. The Spirit will teach us truth. The Spirit will remind us what we've learned. And He'll do it either directly or from the Scripture. Matthew 15, 8, Titus 1, 16. Look at this passage. If someone claims I know God but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person's a liar. He's not, he's not living in the truth. He's not experiencing the guidance of the spirit of truth within who tells us how to live. Well, what is God's spirit showing you today about your true spiritual self? So that you can avoid self-deception. You see this protection? But so that you can also avoid the deception of others. Threat to Herod was also revealed through his responding with rage. Verse 13. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother. And they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. 
Anger always reveals, you know what? What? When you see the presence of anger, it's really telling you what's there. Fear. When you see anger, or when you display anger, it's protecting some vulnerable part of you. But anger is always coupled with fear. He was furious these wise men had outwitted him. I don't think that was the only reason he was outraged. Do you? I think, remember what you get to do when I say it's my opinion, consider it, but you're not bound to it. I think what he experienced when they didn't return was that their actions disrespected him. I think this is a real insecure man who is constantly trying to assert his dominance. And when these men ignored the king, he felt disrespected. Don't raise your hands, but some of you get angry sometimes, don't you? Don't point, but listen. But what is that anger revealing about you? See, I usually say, no, it's about you. Mm -mm. You can never control any of my responses. My responses are always and only about me. Herod could have sent soldiers and wiped out every child anyway. He didn't even need these wise men or their information. It would have made it a little easier, a little more efficient. But he was threatened. And he responded with violent fury. Does anybody know anyone that experiences road rage? I didn't say confess. I didn't say confess. Does anybody, do you know anyone? Let me see some hands if you just know someone. Well, let me tell you what's happening in road rage. I mean, think about it. Okay, you're on Woodruff Road. You're only going three miles an hour anyway. And some woman who's 118, she pulls in front of you. And you're furious. You're ready to cuss somebody out. You're ready to scream and shout and slam the... What is going on there? Okay, it costs you five seconds. But you feel disrespected. You feel minimized, don't you? Because, see, it has to be something more. It doesn't make any sense. And anytime your response doesn't make sense, it's either, it's inordinate, it's either too much or too little for the, what you think caused it, that's not what caused it. That's not what caused it. That just triggered you, something that was already there. And that's what's going on with Herod. And he's so angered by the fact that these wise men didn't do what he said, didn't return to him, didn't tell him where this child was, 
that he acted cruelly, evilly, outrageously. Verse 16. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under. Based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. The wise men's response about the time of the appearance, which is verse 7 earlier, gave Herod an estimated time of birth for his potential rival. Now, we don't know whether the star appeared two years earlier. We don't know that, that Herod's extreme, vengeful response was really out of his frustration that these wise men didn't obey. And it could be that, that they had said something other than two years, but Herod set a, a, a border, a buffer of two years to be able to, to, to be able to kill for sure this threat. Now in reality, Bethlehem was a small town. So it wasn't hundreds of boys. It was probably 10 to 30 boys two years old and younger. And you say, well, that's not that many. It would be if it was yours. It would be if it was yours. And it was enough to throw the entire town into panic and mourning. And then we continue. Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping in mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. That's from Jeremiah 31, 15. Herod's rage caused him to destroy lives. Including his own. You see, Herod had little interest in the Jewish faith. Herod had no trust in God. He had one primary motivation, one primary concern, principal concern, and that was keeping his throne, preserving his power. That was the, the only thing that animated his life. It made for a very small life. And he would protect and provide for himself even if he had to battle God by killing his son. Some of us are missing Christmas because we don't really trust God either. We've tried to protect and provide for ourselves. We've attempted to control the circumstances of our lives. And when we can't, we are hurt, we are disappointed, we're enraged. And when you suffer these tragedies, and when I'm not minimizing the pain and the loss, the disappointment can be so deep and devastating. But our tendency, if we're, particularly if we're self-focused, is to renounce God for the painful circumstances of our lives. Even to angrily attempt to eliminate Jesus from our lives. Let me give you an example. What's up with trying to eliminate nativities from town squares? 
How threatening is plastic Jesus? I'm being witty, but I want you to see this. So how can people be so enraged over this little wooden stable and these little plastic figures? Because it communicates something much, much deeper and more emotional. It's not the symbol. Symbols don't have that control over you. They're not eliminating Frosty the Snowman. You even see Christmas trees, which point on only to Christ. So why? Get rid of that stable. It's an offense. You know, there's some other ways we resist God's intrusion violently. There's not a more outrageous, defiant thing a person can say than there is no God. Nothing. And, and the, one of the most violent things you can do is know God's word and determine to violate it. It's an offense against your Lord. Attacking his people, attacking his church. I mean, it, aren't we surprised how hostile segments of our culture are becoming toward Christians? I don't know if you know this, but, but Christians do an overwhelming majority of benevolence worldwide. Christians, not the Red Cross, Christians. And recovery and, and supporting people and healing them. That's why so many hospitals worldwide were established by particularly Catholics. Why, why would you hate people who have done the most good in the whole planet because it's hatred for God it's rejection of God and that's why we see the anger emerging in our own culture because people know that he's real did y'all hear that well who knows he's real who knows he, he's real, Wanda? Everybody knows he's real. Well, I know people that say he's not. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm embracing denial. But I'm just telling you that everyone knows God is real. Was anybody denying the presence of God on 9-11 over a decade ago? Do you find people denying God standing at a graveside? In the moment of tragedy, who's disputing the presence? Maybe you can find someone, but it's certainly difficult too, isn't it? Because everyone knows God is real. Look at this verse. Ecclesiastes. God has planted eternity in the human heart. Everyone knows. That's why I tell people, instead of when you're talking to unbelievers, instead of trying to convince them about evolution or some of these other issues, 
Ask them, why don't you believe? People reject God for emotional reasons, not cognitive reasons, not factual reasons, emotional reasons, always. They might throw up some other reason, but you got to get past that and say, why don't you believe? Why was Herod so worried about this child who some men came from hundreds of miles away to recognize? If the child was newborn, he wouldn't mount up an opposition for at least 18 years or so. Herod would only live a few more years after this time. Because the threat and the anger is inordinate to the real situation. It's Christmas time. It's time to talk to people about faith. Some of the defenses drop. But instead of doing an all-out assault to convince someone of something, ask, why don't you believe? What's your resistance? What's your opposition? There's some of us in this room that may be right there. And let me implore you, beckon you. Stop resisting and rejecting what you really know inside is true. Instead, pursue the Savior. Look for the King. Seek Him out. Because if you do, you won't miss Christmas. Father, I pray that you would show yourself to us. Lord, I pray that even now someone would be encouraged to come and speak to one of our counselors as they're gathered here at the front. And Lord, instead of us resisting and expressing anger and and battling you Lord help us to to seek to know whether you're true and whether your son is real and whether in fact he came to save we thank you for your goodness and your grace toward us though we were lost you sought and saved us and you symbolize, we symbolize it and remember it during this season. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Invite a guest with you next week. Bring someone Christmas Eve. Look for an open door to tell someone about Christ.